0: Hey, Real Life Church, God bless you. It's good to see you again. I'm Pastor Jim. It's good to be with you. Uh, we're in the end of a series now in which we've been reading together the letter of 1 John, a letter written by a disciple of Jesus in the first century world, reflecting on what life is all about, Live, uh, outlived all the other disciples, lived a longer life than them, and maybe well along in his years, in his more mature years, thinks back over life, life with Jesus and life as a disciple and what matters most. And so this has been a letter all about what life is for. And we've seen that life is all about love. Life is about living for Jesus and living with Jesus at the center. I remember um, when I was in my uh, college years, I stumbled on a question that kind of stuck in my mind and I couldn't quite shake it. I started to think, well, there's a moment where Jesus says, some of you in the end will stand in front of me and say, Jesus, I worked miracles in your name and Jesus will say I'm sorry I never knew you. And I thought, oh no. If there're going to be people who work miracles and still aren't in, uh, am I am I in? Am I am I okay? Because I hadn't even worked any miracles. What happens if I stand in front of Jesus and I've I've done something wrong or I've fought the wrong way? How do I know if I'm in? And so I, I went around and I started to ask people. I asked an elder from my church. You know, the elders are dignified people. They know the Bible well. They're supposed to protect the theology of the church. And I asked an elder, how do I know if I'm in? How do I know if, I, if I'm a good enough Christian? And he said, well, you have to have good theology. He said, you have to, have to believe in the substitutionary atonement. Do you believe in the substitutionary atonement? Jesus died for you. I said, yeah, yeah, I believe in that. He goes, you have to have a good Trinitarian theology. That the the three members of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, were co-equal, co-eternal, consubstantial. And I said, uh wait, con what? He goes, you kept going. You have to, you have to um have a have a nicene Christology. You can't lean Arian or Nestorian. And I said, Hold on, what let me get my thesaurus out. What are we, what are we talking about? He goes, and you have to commit to the Westminster Confession and the first one, not the edited version, and you have to say debtors not trespasses when you say the Lord's Supper. And I left going, I don't know if I can pass this quiz. I went and asked one of the deacons of the church, and the deacons, remember, are the caregiving ministry, the people who take care of the the orphans and the widows and the poor and the homebound and the hospitalized. And I asked one of the deacons of the church, how do I know if I'm in? How do I know if I'm a good enough Christian? And the deacon said, well, you have to love those who are least among us because Jesus says, whatever you do to the least among us, you do to me, Matthew 25. So, oh, okay. And uh he said, uh, you got you got uh, to have a heart of compassion uh, because faith without works is dead, the Bible says. And if you do good works but you have not love, you're like a noisy gong or a clanging And I thought, oh okay, okay I'll, I'll do good works. And the deacon said, um, and um, you, you know you have to you have to care for the poor, you have to uh, live a life of compassion uh, and and fight for justice in this world because we pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I said, oh, okay. I said, what about what about, what about doctrine? And uh, they said, no, no, no. Demons believe all the right things and still aren't saved. So it's not about doctrine. And I went back to the elder and I said, well, the deacon says we've got to do all these things. And the elder said, no, no, no. It's not about good works. It's only about faith. So, so don't, don't try to base, uh, base it on your works. And having listened to two, the two of them, I wondered to myself, would either one of them have let the other one into heaven in the end? Uh, and so my question, my question went unanswered. Well, John in his letter is going to get around to this question because John has been writing about what life is for, having Jesus at the center of your life and the, the heart of all you do. And he got to a point where he warned us. Now, there are some people who have gone out from the church, but they're teaching false things. They're teaching that Jesus isn't the Messiah. Don't be led astray by them. And last week we saw, and this is a matter of life and death, getting life right shapes everything. If you, if you get this wrong, you've missed the whole point. This is a matter of life and death. And so John probably anticipates that the way he talks about these things will provoke in his audience a concern for this question, am, am I okay? Have I have I lived right? Have I got it right? And so today John's going to address that question. How do you know if you're saved? How do you know if you've got it right? How do you, you know... If, if God is pleased with you. Uh, and that's what we're gonna look at today. Take a minute, let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you that you do love us and you call us to yourself and that you're a God of grace who's not eager to judge or condemn. Uh, you loved us so much that you die for us. So help us to focus in on your will. Clear our hearts and our minds that we might see you clearly and hear your voice. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. All right, we're going to keep reading in First John as we, uh, as we have been reading. And today we are in 1 John chapter 4 at verse 7. And uh, John is now going to lay out for us three indicators, three things that we can know that will reassure us that when the day comes that we stand in front of God, we will do so with confidence. Uh, this is at verse seven, listen, uh, listen uh, along as I read or follow along in your own uh, scriptures and listen to God's word. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. This has been the great theme of the letter. This is the love letter. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13 is often referred to as the love chapter because the Apostle Paul describes love in detail, and that's the chapter that often gets read at people's weddings. But 1 John is the love book, and clearly John has laid out for us love is at the center of everything. If If you don't love, you don't know God. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. So John is literally putting love on the level of salvation. If you do not love, it's an indicator that you are not right with God. And if you do love, you're actually learning about God through the act of loving. It's not just a matter of memorizing facts and details about doctrine the way that elder told me. Knowledge and love are intertwined. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. You understand you can have all the facts about God right, but if you don't love, you don't know. John's approach here is uh, I-Y-L-Y-K. If you love, you know. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He sent Jesus to die on the cross so that when we believed in him, all of our sins would receive the punishment they deserve and be paid for on the cross, and we would be forgiven. Remember, love is not the the cute sentiments that we feel day in and day out. Love is anchored in the identity of Jesus. If you know who Jesus is, you know what love looks like. And as you live a life of love, you experience the life that God has designed for you. The experience of living a life of love should resonate with our understanding of the story of Jesus. The two are intertwined. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and has and his love is made complete in us. Uh, and this is this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13: Even if I fathom all knowledge, but if I don't have love, I'm nothing. It's useless. And, and this is important because in our world, there are all kinds of ways to perceive right and wrong and to seek to live rightly. But if you don't love, what you have conceived of as a right life is off because, because living life right comes from experiencing a life of love, not just getting facts correct in your head. There's this twin pairing of knowing the identity of Jesus, knowing who he is, and then living the experience of his love, and those have to come together to get life right. Without love being anchored in the identity of Jesus, our attempts to guess what is right often go astray. Based on reason alone, we would not necessarily come up with a a kind of ethical life in which every single person is valued as, as a being worthy of dignity. By reason alone, we could come up with a kind of right life, an ethical system in which perhaps we'd say, well, you can't, care for everybody. You just have to care for as many people as you can. You have to do the best you can for the most number of people. And some people are going to get sacrificed along the way because there's just too many demands and too few resources. So you have to do whatever is best for the the greatest number of people. And that's a very uh, predominant philosophical worldview today called utilitarianism. The belief that a right life is just trying to do the most good for the most people. And if that means that Small groups of people don't get what they want, that the the minority stays oppressed, and that's just how it is. And there's nothing that reason can do to rule that out as a viable worldview. It's very different than the Christian worldview, in which every single person is a child of God, beloved of God, created by God, and worthy of value because they are God's child. That worldview comes from Christianity alone. It does not exist in every philosophical system. It doesn't exist in every religion. And it is not something that reason can demand on. The only way we come to a place where every single person is valuable, no matter how important they are, no matter how rich or poor they are, no matter whether they are male or female, black or white, The only place, the only way we come to a worldview in which every single person deserves dignity is through Jesus of Nazareth. Love is anchored in him. And only if you live a life of love do you know what he's talking about. If you love, you know. Uh, with, With reason alone, you might as well come up with a worldview where the only thing that matters is your own tribe. You protect your family, you care for your country, and everybody outside your borders. Tough luck for them. Right? If they were born somewhere else, that's not my problem, people might say. Uh, And that's not my problem is the John 3.16 of whatever Bible they read in hell. Right? But that's a perfectly reasonable worldview. It's called tribalism. And it's the worldview of Vladimir Putin. All I care about is promoting Russia and Russia's interests and Russia's values. And if that costs other people their lives, so be it. It's best for my tribe. And reason alone cannot get us out of that. Only through teachings of the teachings of Jesus of Nazareth, do we believe that every single person is a child of God and worthy of dignity? Um, Another uh, way that people see right life, another way that people perceive life to be right today is you you can't care for everybody. You can't even care for your own tribe. Just care for yourself. Just just try to make the best life for yourself you can. And I don't mean like selfishness and greediness. I mean, you know, be a healthy person and have an exercise routine and make yourself happy and do a lot of self-care. It's the language of the rising generation. Build yourself a big TikTok following because being a happy, celebrated thing is the best thing you can do in life. Reason alone cannot tell you that's wrong. That, that's an entirely reasonable way to live your life but it's not what you were designed for. It's not in your anthropology. You were made by a God of love. First John says, God is love. And you were made in his image, book of Genesis chapter 1. So you are a being of love. And the only way to truly live life rightly, the only way to live into your anthropology is to live according to the, des- the design of the God who made you, the God who is love and who made you for love. And you see it spelled out in the teachings of Jesus. But only when we live out the teachings of Jesus, when we walk through life with him, does knowledge of him and uh, a life lived in love come together and, and the two resonate with one another. Love, an experience of love resonates with the teachings and life of Jesus and the knowledge of Jesus resonates with the life of love. The two go together. This is John's first requirement for living life rightly. If you want to know that on the day that you stand in front of God, you did it all right, live for Jesus and live for love. Without love, you don't know Jesus anyway. You know facts about him, but you don't know him. Uh, and, and love itself, just the sentiment, just the emotion, that's not, that's not sufficient. It has to be anchored in the life of God. So the first step to living life rightly, to knowing, is loving. And then John's going to go into a second one, and John's going to talk about the importance of the Holy Spirit in our lives. 1 John is a book all about love. This is what the letter's about. He references the Spirit a few times. The Spirit is in the background of all that he writes, and he wants us to know that having the Spirit within us is an essential requirement to living a life of love. Verse 13. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. And this is good Christian doctrine. When you believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. The Bible calls it a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. It's like God marks you and says, this one is mine. In the end, I'm gonna claim this one for myself. I put the spirit here. It's like God's put his name tag on us. This one belongs to me. I'm gonna come back for this one. The Holy Spirit lives in us when we believe in Jesus. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. When you believe in Jesus, believe that he's the Savior, you receive the Spirit. If you receive the Spirit, you know that Jesus is the Savior. The Spirit convicts us of the teachings of Jesus and reminds us of the things that Jesus has taught. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. So again, love is not just frothy emotion, it's anchored in Jesus, and not just in a knowledge of facts about Jesus, but in having Jesus live inside of us. When we follow Jesus, when we embrace him, we receive the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit convicts us of the reality and truth of Jesus. It also calls us to a life of love, as Jesus explicitly taught. They're all interwoven together. Living life with Jesus as opposed to just knowing facts about Jesus. It's like the difference between reading a biography about someone and being their friend. Uh, Right now I'm reading uh, the biography of Elon Musk that just came out, kind of a fascinating life story of a significant person in our world today. And I know a lot of facts about him because I've read his biography, but he and I are not friends, right? And if I were his friend, we would have a different relationship than we do with uh, me just knowing facts about his life. There are people who have been in the church for decades who know lots of facts about the life of Jesus and who are not his friend. And it's not because he doesn't want to. It's because you have to come to a moment in your life where you say to Jesus, I don't just want to know about you. I want you. I want to be your friend. I invite you into my life to live a dynamic, relational, daily experience in which I listen to you and follow you and honor you and celebrate you and give thanks for you. It's different than just knowing the biography of Jesus. You can know facts about, you could be a seminary professor, teaching people the facts about the life of Jesus and not be the friend of Jesus because you have to invite him in. And if you've never done that before, start today. Say, Jesus, I I want a relationship with you. I want to invite you in. I want to live a a dynamic daily spiritual experience in which the Holy Spirit lives in me, and I live in the Spirit. And as a result of that, I live a life of love. That's That's the image here. And when the Spirit lives in you, it starts to lead in a dynamic way. Uh, and I was trying to think of how to analogize this to the modern world. And it was right there in, uh, in the biography of Elon Musk that I was reading. Uh, you know, he founded the Tesla car company. And I've never driven a Tesla. I've been in one once, but I've never driven one. But I read with fascination the description of the autopilot system in which a Tesla can drive itself because a a driver of a Tesla can actually take their hands off the wheel and the the car will drive itself. I don't think it does it 100% yet, but I know it does it. And I know there are cars uh, driving around in like San Francisco with no drivers in them, Uh, driverless taxis now exist. My my daughter was up there and she said I saw a car go by and nobody was in it. But I read with interest in the uh, owner's manual of the Tesla, the description of the autopilot system, and here's what it says. Before enabling autopilot, the driver first needs to agree to keep your hands on the steering wheel at all times and to always maintain control and responsibility for your vehicle. Subsequently, every time the driver engages autopilot, they are shown a visual reminder to keep your hands on the wheel. And that's kind of how the Holy Spirit works. When we invite Jesus in, the Holy Spirit lives with us. And as we lean into Jesus and depend on Jesus and listen to Jesus, it it can really work on autopilot. He speaks to us, he tells us where to go, he tells us what to say. The, The Bible says in the book of Romans, the Holy Spirit even prays through us when we don't know the right words to pray. At the same time though, you have to keep your hands on the wheel. God is not trying to turn you into a marionette. God is trying to turn you into an adult, an adult who stands on your own two feet. And that means though the spirit is in us and leading us and guiding us and speaking to us, we are to be fully competent adults able to manage ourselves. We are to keep our hands on the wheel. So there's, there's both an autopilot system that works and a responsibility that we have to act like adults, and to manage the lives that God has given us. And that's a pretty decent description of of life in the Spirit. So so these are the first two components of of living life right and being confident on on the day that we stand in front of Jesus. You have to have Jesus at the center of all you do, and that means inviting him in in a dynamic friendship and a dynamic relationship where the Spirit lives in you and you live in the Spirit. And then you live a life of love. As Jesus described, as Jesus modeled, And as the Spirit leads us to experience and to carry out, you have to go out into the world and and care for people in Jesus' name because just having facts in your head is dead and empty. Uh, And and John is now going to spell out what it looks like to go out and live life in the world. The third requirement uh, after love and the Spirit is discipleship. He says, continuing in verse 16, God is love. Whoever lives in love, lives in God, and God in them. This is how how love is made complete among us. And made complete, remember, is the word telos, becoming the thing that you're designed to be. This is how love becomes the final design of what love is supposed to be among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. And here it is. In this world, we are like Jesus. In this world, we grow in our apprenticeship to Jesus, our imitation of Jesus. Life in the spirit should make us more and more like him. Uh, James, the brother of Jesus, will write, faith without works is dead. And John in this letter has already said it's it's useless if you see somebody in need and you have no pity on them and you don't care for them. We have to go in and, and live out a life of love in a way that, uh, that manifests itself through good works and, and kindness to the people around us. Um, There's a a world of difference between doing good works dutifully and doing them compassionately. Imagine a, a chain gang on the side of the road, prisoners picking up litter off the side of the freeway because that is part of their punishment. They have to do that. And compare that to a youth group down in Mexico on a mission trip building a house for a family in need. Think about the difference in motivation of the heart between those two groups. When you go and you you dedicate yourself on a mission trip and you do a project like we do at Real Life, we go down to Mexico and build churches and houses every year. And we don't do it because we get anything out of it. We don't do it because there's a return. We don't get to live in the house we build. We go down there and we do it because God's love just erupts in us. I remember being down in uh, Mexico on a mission trip many years ago with a youth group, and we were building a house, and there was a day where we built the framing of the house. There were no walls yet, no roof, but the frame was up, and we sat on the top beam. uh, A student and I sat on the top beam of the house, kind of looking out across Mexico. And if you've never been down to Tijuana, uh, it's, it's a kind of poverty that we don't know in America. The streets are all just dirt roads. They're wild dogs that run around. The houses are pieced together out of... Cardboard and garage doors and pieces of aluminum siding. Uh, There's no running water. Electricity is scarce. And we were sitting on top of the, the beams of this house that we were building. And the student says to me, this is the best view in all of Mexico. And I looked around and I thought, what are you talking about? And he said, it's not what you're looking at. It's what you're sitting on. And he just had this deep sense that what he was doing at his young stage of life was so meaningful that it was absolutely fulfilling. And that's what Jesus is calling us to, a life of discipleship, where we can stand confidently in front of the Father, because we've lived a friendship with Jesus and invited the Spirit in, and that's manifested itself in a life of love carried out through good works. Thanks to all of you who through this series have have taken on our our Random Acts of Kindness challenge and gone out and done good works for people. Uh, We we gave a list at the beginning of the series for people to do, and I know some of you have written in and people in the church have done this. Uh, People have bought coffee for the person behind them in line. A person um, this last week uh, tipped the bill, like left a tip that was the same amount as the bill. Um, people visited hospitals, visited people who were sick at home, uh, took baked goods to the fire department. There, there were there was uh, this eruption of of random acts of kindness that came out of real life church in recent weeks. Thanks to all of you who have done that. That is a grand social science experiment in which we have asked, what if we become what the church is supposed to be? What if we become a community in our world which values the dignity of every individual, regardless of whether or not they're rich or poor, black or white, man or woman, what if we value the dignity of every person so much that we go out of our way to sacrifice of our own time and resources to care for them and to try to point them towards Jesus? That is what the church is supposed to be. That's the vision that Jesus had in the beginning that we would live lives in friendship with him. And in response, he would put his spirit in our hearts that would change us and grow us and mature us, that he would speak to us and guide us, but that we would be fully mature, hands on the wheel, and able to manage our own lives. And as a result of that relationship with Jesus, we would come to understand love anchored in him and go out into the world as disciples doing works of kindness for everyone letting love overflow so that as people pass by us as we as we cross paths with people they would walk away saying there's something different about that person there's something different about that community they're living life differently than most of the world out there they're they're not living for themselves They're not living for their own tribe. They're not just trying to do good for as many people as they can. They actually believe that every single person should be loved. That's the vision that John has laid out for us in this letter. That's the vision of the church. It's what Jesus calls us to do. So that we close this letter today and move on to our next series. Let's let this one sink deep in our hearts. If you do nothing else in this life, live a life of love in Jesus' name. Because if you love, you know. Amen. Pray with me. Jesus, thank you for the way that you love us. Thank you for calling us to love. Thank you for empowering us to love. If anybody still needs to pray this and is not sure yet, is not confident yet, Jesus, we give our lives to you. Please come in. Holy Spirit, please come in. Replace our hard and bitter hearts with hearts of love. Teach us to live lives of love. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. God bless you. Go be the church. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.